Hello, and welcome to the SEMSage Podcast. I'm JY Ping, and on today's episode, we're presenting a webinar on tactics to help you master reading comprehension. SEMSage tutor Asta begins by explaining her techniques for breaking down reading comprehension passages. Then she and SEMSage tutor Scott take questions from the audience. Good evening. My name is Scott Milam, and I'm the manager of the Seven Stage Tutoring Program. Tonight, I'm joined by Asta Sinha. Asta is one of our founding tutors and has developed a well-deserved reputation in our program for her expertise teaching reading comprehension. This evening, she is here to discuss the strategies and techniques she uses to help her students master the reading comprehension section. So without further ado, Asta, take it away. Hello, hello. Well, first off, thank you so much for coming out tonight. I am super excited to talk about RC. I think the biggest thing that a lot of people would feel with RC is that it's unbeatable. And I really, if there's like one thing that you get out of this entire call is that it's not, right? It is absolutely something that you can master and you can accomplish. So what we're kind of going to be going over today, starting off with some common misconceptions about RC. Scott and I had a whole conversation about whether or not these things were actually misconceptions before we started here today, but I really do believe they are. We'll talk about some common mistakes that people make with RC, just things that I've seen in my own studying and, and through tutoring, you know, number of clients. And then also, you know, we'll talk about all those mistakes and how to fix them, right? So some strategies that I've collected along the way and some drills that you guys can kind of do on your own time to try to improve on RC, which I promise you, you can. It is not something that is impossible. All right. Well, before we jump straight into that, I do just want to let everyone know we will have time at the end for your questions. So please hold on to those. We do really like to take as many questions from the audience as we possibly can, but we won't be interrupting in the middle of things to do that because otherwise we would never get to the core content tonight. But please hold on to those questions and we'll definitely have time for that at the end. Awesome. So let's get started. So I think the first thing that I hear a lot about RC is that it is the most difficult section to improve on or that it's impossible to improve on. And I wholeheartedly believe that is not true. I do not think that RC is the most impossible section out there out of all of them. I think the biggest reason that people say that is because, you know, it's true, right? At your core, you can't necessarily improve your, your base reading level in a couple of weeks or a couple of months. But what you can do is develop a strategy and develop, you know, a way of going about and what you need to be picking out from the passage that you can do every time and you can improve on those things. One thing that I really felt when I was studying for the test, RC was always my worst section when I first started studying. And my general game plan, I suppose, was to read the passage, pray to the LSAT gods that I understood what I just read, hope for the best, jumping into the questions and just hope so hard that the right answer spoke to me, right? And I would have really inconsistent results as a result of that. And obviously, right, if I'm not doing the same thing every time, I'm not going to get the same results every time. So something that really helped me improve on RC and kind of master the section, I suppose, is developing some kind of a strategy, something that I was doing every single time that I read a passage so that, right, consequentially, I would get the same results every time. So if you hear, you know, on Reddit or on the discussion forums or wherever else you go to get your LSAT information that this section is the most difficult to improve, I really want to challenge that throughout today's call and in the rest of the work that you do with RC. A question I often get on this is that there are actual LSAT experts and tutors out there even who will say that you can't even really meaningfully improve your RC performance, at least not within the time span that most people have available to study. And that uh, as a result, all of your attention should be focused on improving logic games and logical reasoning. How do you respond when you hear things like that? In short, I think that's a little extreme. The real answer that I would give to that is like, yes, you should be focusing on improving games first and foremost, right? That's the one that you should be able to master, you know, initially. But LR and RC are not like 
two completely different worlds, right? If you can improve on one, you can improve on the other. And it's not just a matter of becoming a better reader, right? You just need to be a better reader for the LSAT. And those skills are two completely different things. I'm not saying you're going to get out of your studying and just be able to read the most complicated textbook or, you know, piece of academic work out there. But what you can do is get better at reading on the LSAT. So to all the LSAT experts who might say that, calm down just a little bit. It's really, <laughs> it's really not that difficult. That's what I would say. Well, what other misconceptions are out there? Yeah, so I think the the biggest one, especially because a lot of people really struggle with inference questions on RC. And part of that is because they're thinking that they need to read between the lines when you're reading a passage. You kind of have to, when it says infer, you think you really just have to infer something that's completely outside of the passage or guess what the author's trying to say and assume a bunch of things. You don't. I really believe that RC can be just as black and white as games is. Just like when you're doing a game, you've got a game board that you can use to prove your answer. For every single question that you do on RC, you can use your passage as a game board to prove your answer. The answer is always going to be written there. There's always going to be somewhere that you can go back to in the passage, somewhere that you can physically highlight, right, to defend the answer that you're picking, even if it is an inference question. So the biggest misconception, like one of the biggest ones that I see is that you have to read between the lines to do RC. And I, I really just don't think that's true. And the next thing, you know, the very last kind of misconception that I, I hear a lot about RC is that you have to be an expert at the topic at hand, right? That you have to know any kind of background information or anything like that to be able to be good at a passage or understand a passage. I'll say this, like I, in school, studied criminology and geography. I do not know the ins and outs of astrophysics. I don't know anything about fish anatomy or like whatever other nonsense the LSAT writers decide to put into passage. Like, I don't know any of these topics and that's okay, right? As long as you can, at the very least, fake some excitement for what you're about to read and go into it and read actively and, and do the strategies that we're going to talk about, you're going to be all right, even if you don't have any background information on the topics. And that kind of goes back to the last point, right? You don't have to read between the lines. The answer is always going to be there. I really like the way you phrase that, as long as you can feign some enthusiasm. And that's something I've, I've always said to people. Having expertise in some of these topics actually doesn't help you. And in some cases, it can even be a little detrimental because it can cause you to bring in outside knowledge into the test. And that ultimately is not going to help you. What can help you is if you actually have some curiosity for the topic. And I think the my experience has been that the students who really do well on RC and who kind of really top the charts on it tend to be those students who can approach every passage, not necessarily with any prior knowledge, but with just an interest in finding out what it's about. And yeah. th that tends to lead to you reading more actively and in a, in a fashion that you're going to pick up the nuances of the argument that's being made. So if really, if you get anything from this, try to approach every passage with curiosity, with enthusiasm, with interest, even if yeah. it has to be feigned. And if, if you do that, that by itself is going to do some good in terms of you being able to better acquire the information in the passage. Yeah. I totally agree, right? Like I personally have no interest in learning about research being done on the different layers of the atmosphere. I couldn't name them if you asked me, right? But if I'm reading a passage about that, like I am so excited to learn. Like this is what I'm going to spend my entire life studying, right? Like I'm going to pretend that I cannot wait to learn all there is to learn about the layers of the atmosphere. And that's honestly half the battle. Like if you can get through the passage, you're halfway there. And getting through the passage, sometimes right, all it comes down to is just pretending to be excited about it. So yeah, I totally agree. So that's kind of what I wanted to cover about kind of the misconceptions with RC. It's it's really, again, right, it is a beatable section. You don't have to know an insurmountable amount of knowledge or have this insane reading level to be able to improve. And a lot of the mistakes that people make are, one, internalizing those misconceptions and really just kind of believing in their heart there's nothing they can do about RC. 
It's just not true. I promise you can. And and there are a couple other things that I wanted to kind of talk about that I see time and time again with some clients, you know, some common mistakes that I see with RC. So the first two kind of go hand in hand. One is either they're reading too slowly or they're reading too, we're going to break those apart. Reading too slowly, what that really just means is that you're trying too hard to absorb every single detail in the passage. You want to remember that the LSAT writers designed this section to be completed in 35 minutes. If they expected you to be able to internalize every last detail of the passage, this would be a completely different test, right? That's not the skill that they're trying to test. They're not expecting you to know, again, I don't know, the ins and outs of what a fish's brain looks like. Those little details that you're reading in a passage are not that important. As long as you can get through the passage and collect the main ideas as you go and read actively enough to be able to recall the the gist of the details if you need to, that's all that really matters. And, And just remind yourself, right? You're not expected to be able to read the entire thing, understand the entire thing, and get through all the questions because of how short the section is. So if it feels like the passage is just too long for you to read in the time that you need to do it in, think back and like, you know, am I reading too much into it? Am I spending too much time rereading that one sentence over and over again until I understand every last detail of it? If you can just get through, get the main ideas, get the low-res summaries, all those things, that's what you need to get out of the passage. So that's going to be what's most important to you. Scott, did you have any thoughts on that? No, but tell us about the opposite side. You know, what yeah. is what is reading too fast? I, I think for some people, they're going to hear, what, what do you mean that it's possible to read too fast on RC? That's the yeah. whole thing I'm trying to do is read fast. Absolutely, right? And it's it's a fun little game to play of like, you just told me to read faster and now you're telling me that I read too fast. Well, yeah, there's like a little bit of a balance between those two things, right? You don't want to be sitting there absorbing every single detail, but you also don't want to get to the point where you're just glossing over words. I'm sure you guys have all experienced, you get like three, four hours into studying and you start reading a question and nothing is registering, right? You just have no idea what you just read. And you get to the end of the passage or you get to the end of the argument, you're like, okay, I need to, I need to go back and reread that because I just glossed over everything, right? It's a very common feeling that people have. That's not a feeling that you should have when (laughs) in 15 minutes in. I totally agree, right? That's not a feeling that you should have when you're reading an RC passage. You shouldn't just be glossing over words and not registering what you're reading. Something that I find really helpful to kind of combat that is as I'm reading an RC passage, I am like in real time translating what I just read into something that makes sense in my brain, right? Into simple English. And if I can do that for each sentence or, you know, each group of sentences that I've just read, that means, you know, I know that I've taken what I need to get out of that. Now, again, that doesn't mean I'm I'm pouring over every last detail, but I'm also not skimming, right? Skimming isn't going to be good enough for an RC passage. You do still need to understand the main idea of each component of it, each paragraph, or if the paragraph has two parts, then each part of the paragraph. But if you're just going and just kind of skimming material, glossing over words, and when you get to the questions, you're going to realize you got absolutely nothing out of the passage. And if you find yourself going back to the passage for every single question that you're doing, you're probably not looking for the right things when you're reading, and you're probably reading a little bit too quickly for your own good. So that those are kind of my two major things that I've seen. Yeah, and I really want to emphasize that last point, because that's one of the more common mistakes that I see with clients who are struggling with the RC section, is that they will work so hard to skim time off of their passage read time, shaving 30 seconds or 60 seconds off their reading of the passage. And then they end up losing much more time than that, because they constantly have to go back for you know every question or every other question. Often, when students are having or struggling with the RC section, and particularly struggling with time or struggling with finishing, one of the first things I recommend is actually ironically, slow down your reading speed 
through the passage and try to refer back to it less. If you can really absorb more of the passage, especially the important bits, and I know, of course, Asa, this is part of what you're going to be talking about next. But if you can get the passage on your first read, even if it takes you an additional 30 or even 60 seconds, often that can save you as much or even more time as you get into the questions while also increasing your accuracy. For sure. I play this really fun game with my clients where we'll go through a passage and, you know, be looking for, you know, all the important things and we'll get to the questions and I'll just zoom in on the question. I'll just hide the passage for them. And they really want to go back to the passage and, you know, reread this part or reread that paragraph. But every single time they're able to answer the question without looking back. Do they, are they my biggest fan in that moment? Probably not, right? But they get the question right at the end of the day. And that's what's important. If you're looking for the right things in the passage, you're getting the right things out of the passage, you shouldn't feel the need to reread the passage for every single question that you do. Once or twice, sure. But you really want to rely on the passage as little as possible. Be careful. You're you're exposing the seven sage tutoring trade secret of selectively torturing our clients. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We went over not talking about that one. Um, (laughs) But, you know, we've gone over a lot of, you know, mistakes and misconceptions that people have with RC. And I'm sure you guys are like, okay, Austin, that's great. What do I do? Right? What am I supposed to do? And I'm very glad that you guys are having that thought. So with RC, my philosophy, I suppose, with RC is something that I call the big three. The big three is really just the three things that you need to be able to get out of a passage. And if you do, I guarantee, 100% guarantee you're going to get every single question right if you're able to identify the big three in a passage. The big three doesn't include every last detail. It doesn't include understanding every single word. What the big three really boils down to is knowing the low res summary of each paragraph. So the main idea, the main point of each paragraph, the structure of the passage as a whole. So the relationships that each paragraph has with each other and who the speakers are. So I'll kind of break each of those down. But what I want to remind you guys again, right? These are the three things I guarantee. You might not believe me, but I promise you, right? These are the only three things that you need to get through every single question and do so accurately. So when we're thinking about the low res summary, right? That's something that, you know, JY talks a ton about in the core curriculum. And I'm sure you guys have kind of seen it in the core curriculum or in explanation videos, but it's really just getting the main idea of each paragraph. Your low res summary should not be more than a couple of words. I like to cap out at six at most, right? That that even is on the higher end of things. It should just be two, three words. Now, putting your low res summary down to just a couple of words does a few things. Number one, it's easier to do, right? So you're not carrying a bunch of words out in your head. Number two, it forces you to make sure you really understand what the major takeaways of the paragraph were. And number three, if you have a really long low res summary of a paragraph, you might remember that by the time you finish the paragraph. Maybe you remember it by the time you get to the end of the passage. But I'm sure that by the time you get to question number seven of that passage, you are going to have no idea what that two sentence long summary of the first paragraph is. You want to make sure your low res something, your low res is something that's helpful to you even when you get to the last passage. The way that I like to explain it to some of my clients is if you read the paragraph and you have to tell somebody that you were walking by on the sidewalk what that paragraph was about in those two seconds that you're stepping by them, what would you say? Right. So that's kind of a test that you can use of how not comprehensive, I suppose, right? How short your your low res summary should be. So kind of my major takeaway of low res summary. So out of curiosity, what recommendation do you give to your clients on taking notes over the low risk summaries or out of any of the big three? Do you recommend that they jot down notes on paper or try to keep everything in their head or what factors go into that? So a couple of things. I personally am very, very hesitant to recommend to anybody to write down their low res summaries. Part of that is because one, writing just takes some time, you know, no matter how quickly you write and 
how many words you use, it's going to take some time out of reading. And number two, the last thing that I want is for you to spend 30 seconds sitting there trying to figure out what to write. You know, I don't want you to pause at the end of each paragraph and spend a whole bunch of time trying to figure that out. So I get a little bit nervous when one of my clients says that they want to write down their low-res summaries. Now, one thing that I will say is different things work for different people. If you find that you're really just not able to hold on, hold on to your low-res summaries or any part of the big three by the time you get to the end of the passage, and it is helpful for you to just very quickly jot down a few words, okay, I'll live, right? But I, I wouldn't start off with that. Something that I, I really found helpful for me is I would just highlight as I read in the passage, you know, what the main ideas of each paragraph were and use that as like kind of a visual roadmap of the passage. Sometimes, you know, you don't know what the low res is going to be until you get to the end of the paragraph. So I might go back and highlight a couple words. And I find that's a little bit faster than writing things down. So long answer to your question. But in short, be cautious of writing things down. Excellent. So what's the next of the big three? So the next thing is structure. So this is one that I think is really, really important and also important to distinguish from the low res summary. So your low res summary is focused on content, right? What the content of each paragraph is. Your structure isn't about content. It's about relationships. You should always be able to recognize why the LSAT writers put each paragraph in the order that they did, why each paragraph is there. And that comes with, you know, drawing each paragraph back to the last one that you just read and stringing these together. So you really just want to be thinking about the relationships that the paragraphs have with each other. Why is the second paragraph the second paragraph? Why is it there? What's the purpose of it being in this passage? So a lot of times, you know, for a science passage, it might be a hypothesis is introduced in the first paragraph, and then research is introduced in the second paragraph, and then a critic in the third and the author in the fourth, right? That that would kind of be your structure. That's how these things are related to each other, that the Critics are related to the hypothesis or the research introduced in the earlier paragraphs. If you get to the end of a paragraph, paragraph two or paragraph three, and you have no idea why that paragraph is there, you have no idea how it's connected to the rest of the passage, you want to take a second and figure that out before you keep moving. You're kind of swimming in, in uncharted territory if you're not able to get a roadmap as you continue to, to read the passage. That's what I think is the most important thing about understanding structure. It's not about the content, it's about the relationships. And those relationships are so, so important. No, and really that's what allows you to really follow the argument that is being made. And I think that's something different clients that I've had struggle on different types of passages, whether that's people who struggle with humanities passages or science passages. But what kind of unites all of the passages that Elsa said, they're all making some sort of argument. And if you can understand the structure, then that's ultimately going to help you follow the flow of that argument. And just like Asa said, I mean, if you if you get to the end of the paragraph and you think, hey, I don't understand why this is here or this seems unnecessary stop. You've yeah. missed something. They've trimmed these down to where there are no unnecessary paragraphs. So if you don't understand the point of the paragraph, that's a good opportunity to learn. You may not have time to stop while you're taking the prep test, but man, flag that passage and that for later review, because yeah. that's really one where you have an opportunity to really learn how that passage is structured. And I guarantee you that's going to unlock your ability to recognize how other similar passages are structured in the future. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. It's one of the most important things that a lot of people kind of gloss over. And it was something that was missing in my read and pray to the LSAT gods approach, right? Is I wasn't really <laughs> thinking about... The, the structure of the passage and the argument being presented. 
So cool. So that was the first and second part of the big three. The last one is the one that I think is glossed over the most often. And I really do think that when I started recognizing this in the passages that I was reading, my RC performance increased dramatically. And in that third part are the speakers. So when I say speakers, I, I once introduced this to a client. He was like, well, also, isn't the author the speaker for the entire passage because they wrote it? And I was like, sure. Technically, yes. But that's not really what I mean by, by speakers. What I mean is, is whose point of view is this part of the passage coming? So the way that I like to explain it is if you're thinking about a play, when you read a play, you're going to see the person's name, colon, and then all of their script. And then the person's name, colon, and then all of their script. If you turn the passage into an incredibly boring play, but if you turn it into a play, <laughs> you want to be thinking about who would this portion of the text be attributed to? Would it be the author? Would it be the critic? Would it be a researcher? Would it be, you know, this philosophy or an artist or a, a time period, right? Who is this portion of the text being attributed to? And if you're able to identify who the speakers are in different portions of the text, it makes questions like which one of the following statements would the critic be most likely to agree with? It makes those so much easier because you know exactly where in the passage the critic actually gave their, I'm like so impassioned right now. Uh, it gives you <laughs> direction in the passage to, to where the critic's actually giving their point of view. And a lot of times people struggle with those questions and they read it and they're scanning the entire passage to try to find the critic and is it here, is it there? If you do the work when you read the passage to kind of separate out whose point of view the information is coming from, those questions are so, so much easier. So that's kind of the, the biggest thing with speakers. It's a little bit difficult to kind of incorporate because it's something that a lot of people don't think about, but you really want to be splitting up the passage with whose point of view is it coming from. Sometimes it's the author, sometimes it's someone else, sometimes it's not in a person, but it's an ideology or a concept or something like that. But the speakers really is, I think, like the, the golden key to getting better at LSAT or RC in the LSAT to help you identify some of those things. Yeah, and I'll actually second that. So my initial diagnostic, RC did not seem like it was going to be a problem. I think the first time I took the test, it was a minus two in RC. As I kept taking into the like 70s and 80s PTs, though, like suddenly, and this is like three weeks before the test, it dropped down to like a minus five and minus six. And, you know, I've been working on logic games all this time. And that was the thing I was just kind of, you know, tunnel visioned in on. And suddenly, like, I'm finally getting my logic games down. And suddenly RC falls apart on me, you know, just a few weeks before the test and I didn't know what to do at first. And this really was the key for me. I was doing a pretty good job of creating low res summaries. I was reading for structure. Following the argument was relatively easy for me, but I wasn't really tracking all of these different speakers and perspectives and philosophies. And ultimately, I, I mean, I actually broke down and just took jotted very quick notes on the corner of a piece of paper. And that by itself kind of repaired that minus five, minus six back to the kind of original minus two and just in the neck of time for me to take the June test. So I would strongly recommend that. It's easy to miss. And especially once you've trained on those earlier PTs where this point is less important, you cannot tackle the 70s, 80s and 90s PTs and the modern LSAT as a result. If you're not not yeah. tracking all of the different voices that are represented in the passage. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that kind of goes to the point, there's a little bit of a narrative of RC has gotten so much harder in, in more recent tests and it's so impossible and so difficult. No, that's not really the case. What it is that people like Scott, who are just really good at reading, are no longer able to get through the more recent tests because they're asking you for something a little bit different. They're asking you to identify something specific to the LSAT. I think, you know, your story is a great mm -hmm. example of that. Is you can be a great reader, but if you don't know what the LSAT's looking for, it's going to be a lot harder to succeed on, on the test. 
No, I absolutely agree. And, and I've talked to plenty of students who did really well on the ACT or the SAT or other standardized reading exams and have just yeah. absolutely fallen flat when it comes to the LSAT. And that's because the LSAT is not those tests. It is looking yeah. for a very different type of reading. It is looking for you to be able to follow the structure of argument and the logical connections between the ideas, whereas those other tests are largely looking for just kind of base level comprehension and recollection mm -hmm. of details. And if you try to take the LSAT the way you took the PSAT or the SAT or the ACT, you yeah. know, that is that is not going to get you there. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And that's why I think people kind of spin this idea that RC is impossible. It's not, right? If you know what the LSAT's looking for, mm -hmm. you can totally beat it. So awesome. That's kind of my my philosophy, right? With the big three, it's something that I really like to enforce. Like it's, it's the one thing that if I can spread to the world in terms of LSAT, I would, right? I think it's the most helpful thing for me, at least, right, with RC. Uh, it's my overall agenda here, Scott, uh, is spreading the big three to whoever will listen to me. <laughs> um, but the next thing that I want to talk about, right, with you know, once you've kind of gotten past the idea of the big three, you're able to kind of identify the low res, the structure of the speakers, and notice how they help you in different question types. The next step is trying to kind of pre-phase the answer when you're looking at a question. Now, I don't necessarily mean being able to guess word for word what the right answer is going to be. I recognize that's not always possible. Sometimes it is, right? Sometimes you get a main point question. And ideally, if you've been doing all the right things when you're reading the passage, you're able to kind of predict generally what the main point is going to be. But some questions are, you know, like we talked about earlier, which one of the following statements would the critic agree with? You're not going to be able to guess, right, what statement the LSAT writers are going to pull from. So instead, right, there are two things that you want to be trying to predict. Number one, if you can, predicting what type of answer choice it's going to be. I remember talking to a client about this and he was like, oh, so like the flavor of the answer choice. I was like, sure, that sounds kind of weird, but uh, yeah, the flavor <laughs> of the answer choice, right? Or if you can't guess kind of word for word or kind of what the type of answer is going to be, at the very least, know where in the passage the answer is going to come from. Hmm. So that example, right, of the which one of the following statements would the critic agree with, even if you don't know what the statement's going to be, if you know that the answer is going to be in the third paragraph, you can start eliminating answer choices based off location alone, right? If that the answer choice isn't somewhere in the third paragraph from what you remember, you can get rid of the answer choice. So that's kind of the biggest thing that I find really helps people move faster on the questions is just by taking a second with yourself and really making sure you have an idea of either what the flavor of the answer is going to be or where in the passage the answer is going to come from. And, you know, exercise that when you're doing a prep test or when you're doing an RC drill, do it untimed and see if you can predict those things with the questions before you jump into the answer choices. And hopefully, right, I have a feeling that's really going to help with your performance in general. This can be a really clear filter, right, of how to look through these answer choices. So that's kind of the biggest thing that I would say when people are like, oh, I can do RC, I'm just slow. And it's like, okay, well, here's one way that you can get faster, you know, something that can really, really help. All right. So the next thing that I hear all the time with RC is, okay, I've done the big three. I've looked at it. I've understood it. I know the passage. I prephrased or predicted the answer choice or at least where it's going to be. But now I'm down to two answer choices and I don't know what to do. And I see, I see that and I hear that so often that you get it down to two and you just are not able to defend, you know, one of those answer choices. So the first thing that I'll say to that is skip the question, right? Just move on with your life. If you're down to two, like do not waste time rereading and rereading the answer choice until you feel like you don't know the English language anymore, right? That's not very helpful to anybody. So skip the question. You're always, always, always going to be able to look at a question clearer with a fresh set of eyes when you come back to it on round two. So if you get down to two answer choices, you don't know what's going on. If you don't do anything else, you skip the question and you come back to it later. 
Now, the next thing that you want to be thinking about is as simple as it sounds, is that there's always going to be four wrong answer choices on a question and one right answer choice. There's never going to be one answer choice that's more right than another one. So if you're down to two answer choices, remind yourself of that fact that one of these mm -hmm. answer choices is wrong and one of these answer choices is right. And I just need to figure out which one is which. Now, to be able to figure out which one is which, I, I want to go back to that earlier point that we talked about, that the LSAT's never going to require you to read between the lines. You're always going to be able to find a defense for an answer choice somewhere in the passage. So take one of those answer choices, go back to where in the passage you predicted the right answer was going to be, and see if you can find a line to defend the answer choice. And if you go back and there's nothing to highlight, right, there's nothing in the passage for you to defend that answer choice, and then you know it's the wrong answer, right? Then take a second with the other one and see if you can defend it. But the my overall strategy for choosing between two answer choices is thinking about which one you can actually defend with the passage. That's going to be your best bet. Again, just because you're never going to have to, to guess, right? The LSAT's never going to write a question that requires you to use some outside knowledge or some general expertise to get the right answer because it's the right answer that every single person that's taken the LSAT should be able to find. And where are you going to find it? You're going to find it in the passage. Absolutely. And, the and I'll just thing, throw out there yeah. that, that advice about what to do when you're stuck between two answer choices isn't just applicable in the reading comprehension section, but anywhere on the test that you find yourself. Don't get caught in the loop of getting stuck between two answer choices and just burning time staring at that one question in the hopes that it will like unlock its answers for you. Go ahead, move on to the next question. If you're stuck between two answer choices and you legitimately don't know which one is right, that question's not for you, at least not on this day on this test. Go on to the next question because that one probably is for you. You will be able to tackle that one. One of my very first clients, this was one of his worst habits where he would just, if he got stuck between these two answer choices, he would just spin sometimes for minutes trying to, to solve this and not realizing that, my goodness, if I would just go on to these other questions, instead of spending five minutes trying to resolve this seemingly irresolvable dilemma, that I could have gotten two or three other answers right in the time that you I, I ultimately put to trying to answer this one. So you yeah. don't, your, your goal is not to get every question right. It is to get as many right as you possibly can. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that advice, right? Something that I remind my clients all the time is that every single question is worth the same amount of points. You don't get bonus mm -hmm. points for answering a hard question. I wish, right? That would have been nice. But every <laughs> single one is worth the same amount of points. So if you're on round two of a question and things still just are not clicking for you, cut your losses and move on. It's the best thing that you can do for yourself. Even if you're trying to get a 180, right? You don't, still don't need to get every single question, right? You can still miss you know, one, maybe two and, and have a good day. So don't feel like you need to perfect every single question on the test to get a good score on this test. You're going to be all right. So yeah, that's kind of what my general strategies are for RC, you know, identifying the big three, trying to predict the flavor of the answer choice, or at least where in the passage it's going to be and moving on, right? If you're down to two answer choices, skip and move on. And if you're back, try to defend it with the passage to pick one. So yeah, those are kind of my, my big ideas. And the last thing I kind of wanted to leave you guys with before we start with questions is some drills that I've found are really helpful with improving on RC, things that you can kind of do on your own time. So number one is a predicting the answer drill. It's exactly what it sounds like. You do a section or a couple passages, you do it on timed, and you take a look at the question stem and you try to guess one of those two things. What type of answer choice is this going to be? Or if I can't figure that out, where in the passage am I going to find the defense for this answer choice? And use your big three when you're doing that, right? Use your, your low rest summary. If you're if the question's asking about a certain topic, use your low rest summary to remember where in the passage that topic was discussed. If the question is asking about a certain speaker, right? Use your low rest summary to decide where in the 
passage that speaker came up and, and kind of be able to kind of combine those things to get the most out of them when you're looking at these questions. The next drill that I want to talk about is what I call a passage selection drill. So this is something that I really like doing when I have a client or when I was studying and I was really struggling with choosing between two answer choices. And I was just always stuck on that. Like I, I just couldn't move on. I had no idea which one was the right answer. So do a section, complete it thoroughly, do your best. And when you get to blind review, go back to each question and physically highlight where in the passage you got the defense for the answer that you chose. If you go back to the passage for an answer choice that you, you picked and you've got nothing to highlight, you have no idea where you're going to defend that answer choice. Take a second and think about, did I choose the right answer choice? Because you're always going to be able to highlight something goodness, like anything, right, in the passage to, to bring you back to the answer choice that you have. So that would be, you know, what a passage selection drill is. I really love doing it. And it's also yeah. super fun because when, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and that's also a great exercise to do, not just as an independent drill, but as part of your blind review as well. So yeah. if there are questions that you have flagged as, I'm not sure I got these right. Again, go back, try to find the justification for the answer that you chose and see if it was actually there. And if not, figure out which answer choice is actually justified for the passage. Yeah. And, and perhaps most importantly, again, if you're doing this on blind review, ask yourself why you didn't notice the, the right answer the first time. Because again, that's really the key to you, you ultimately improving on the LSAT. Every practice test, every passage that you've read, you're never going to have that exact passage again but you will have passages similar to it. You will have questions that are similar to it. So make sure you've learned all of your lessons from each of the ones that you've taken because that's ultimately what helps you get better. I totally agree. There's one thing that I've learned in my time tutoring is that the LSAT writers are not creative in the slightest. They are very, very <laughs> uncreative, boring people that do the same thing over and over again. So one pattern that you identify in one passage is always going to be helpful to another passage that you do. Mm. They are working on unlimited brain capacity. They do not have new ideas very often. <laughs> I think the last time they did something new is when they threw in a comparative passage. Like what, how many years ago? <laughs> But yeah, that, that's one thing. So far, we talked about predicting the answer drill, passage selection drill. The next quick drill that I want to mention is called a confidence drill. So if you're one of those people that really, you know, like Scott was saying, was just kind of spinning wheels and, and you know, not really able to move on from a question and going back and forth between different answer choices, do a confidence drill where you pick an answer and you move on and you never look back. There's no switching between answer choices. There's no second guessing yourself. Use your intuition. Don't be lazy about it, but do your best just very quickly. Pick an answer and keep going. Honestly, I'd be less concerned about your accuracy with the confidence drill, more so concerned with you building the muscle of picking something and moving on with the selection. Mm. Accuracy will come with practice, but being slow and you know unsure of yourself and not confident with what you're doing, that's a lot harder to fix down the road. So really make sure, you know, as you're doing your practices and doing your drills, you're sticking with that, that idea of like, I'm sure about what I picked. I'm definitive about what I chose. I don't need to come back to this question and spend three minutes double checking my work. And that's really kind of the purpose of a confidence drill. And the, the very last one is just a big three drill. Do a passage and during blind review, sit down and write down the big three, physically articulate and see if that helps, you know, give you any clarity with any questions that you were struggling with. So as a quick summary, the predicting the answer drill, passage selection drill, confidence drill, and the big three. Yeah. Real quick. So you mentioned earlier something that you do with your clients. I was going to see if you recommend them doing it on their own, where you completely hide the passage and do a drill where you try to answer the questions without using the passage. 
Yeah, it's a super fun one for me to watch at least. It's not as fun to do, but I think it's super helpful to do a, like a memory drill, basically. It might, you might struggle with it and that's okay, but I think it's a really good drill to, to pinpoint, are there any gaps in your understanding of the passage? Because if you're not able to answer any questions or you have no idea what the passage or what the answer might even be, maybe you need to spend a little bit more time thinking about the big three when you're reading through the passage. So yeah, I think it's a really good one to do on your own. Well, fantastic. We are now going to open the floor up for questions. I'll explain how this works. Of course, you guys have all been spending a lot of time in Zoom, I suspect, over the past couple of years, so it should be fairly familiar to you. But if you'd like to ask a question, please use the raise hand feature on your phone or on your computer. I'll try to take people in the, the order that they come. When I choose you, I'll try to say your name. I apologize. There's a decent chance I will butcher it. And then you will have to unmute yourself in order to actually ask your question. So yeah, Evan, what's your question? Would you all have a recommended order in which you complete the questions to save time? Yeah, so I think it, it's different things for different people. One piece of advice that I heard a lot when I was studying was to answer all of the smaller picture questions first before going to the big picture questions. I, I think there's some utility to that depending on like where you're at and you're studying. I do think, however, if you're able to kind of get the big three out of the passage and you've got a good understanding of the passage, you shouldn't really have to jump around too much to kind of get to the right answers. But if you really find yourself struggling with those those big questions of, you know, what the purpose of an entire paragraph is or, or what the goal of the passage is or what the author thinks about the thing, then maybe try kind of answering line-specific questions before you tackle the bigger ones. But ideally, right, if you're getting the right things out of the passage, that shouldn't even be an issue. Uh, yeah, that's kind of how I approach that. Got it. Thank you. Right, thanks, Evan. Next up will be Sophia. Hey, my question is about highlighting and what the utility of highlighting is. I find that either I end up highlighting all the wrong things, like things that are jumping out at me but never show up in the questions, or if I'm really into a passage, you know, maybe that is happening, but it ends up being fine and the highlighting kind of helps me to engage. So I was wondering kind of what a good middle ground is. Like, do you guys recommend highlighting? And if so, what should we be highlighting? Should we we be highlighting for, you know, a new voice, like you were like those specific the main three that you were talking about or something else? So I've got a couple thoughts on it, Scott, if you don't mind me taking this one. The biggest thing that I see, not the biggest, I see it every once in a while, is people highlighting way too much, where the entire page is a neon color, which I think is egregious and not helpful at all and kind of painful to look at, honestly. So that's the first thing that I would say is, is don't highlight too much uh, to the point that the entire page gets cluttered. One thing that I really found helpful when I was first trying to kind of pinpoint my highlighting strategy was doing a couple passages untimed reading the passage, getting to the end of a paragraph, and going back once I finished the paragraph and highlighting the main ideas that I thought were important. Really trying to limit myself to two, maybe three things in a passage, to, in a paragraph to highlight, not too much. And really just focusing on the main ideas. Am I seeing a shift that's happening? You know, is there a but yet, however, or is, you know, a new speaker being introduced? But if you kind of do it that way, go ahead and just read a paragraph and go back and highlight what you realized was important. That might be helpful to kind of pinpoint the amount of highlighting that's helpful to you. Got it. So like on blind review, going back and seeing, was my highlighting actually related to what the mm -hmm. questions were asking? Yeah, I think that's a great way of doing it as well. I was thinking more like doing a section untimed and kind of reading a paragraph and going back before looking at the questions. But I think that's also a great way to think about, you know, was my highlighting good? What could I change about what I highlighted to be more helpful? I think mean, that's great. Great. Thank and you. 
And something I'll add to that is that highlighting is probably the most controversial thing that we run into with RC, even amongst other tutors. The main thing I always try to emphasize is whatever you do with highlighting, make sure it's intentional and not just busy work. It's easy to use highlighting as a way to give yourself something to do as you're going through the RC passage. But if it's not helping you understand, if it's not targeting one of the big three or something else that you're specifically trying to identify, it's probably only wasting your time and not actually helping you. Right. Thank you so much. Of course. course. All right, Patricia. Hi. So my question was, do you have any suggestions or tips when reading? I'm noticing that I'm having trouble staying focused on the paragraph. Yeah, that's a a very common one. I think one thing that can help with that is what we kind of talked about earlier about faking excitement if you need to, right? Like really just pretending that you're so interested in whatever topic you're about to learn about. Number two is just kind of checking in with yourself every time it happens. If you're reading and you notice yourself glossing over words, you're not really retaining everything. Take a second, right? Look away from the screen if you have to and and go back and reread that section until you do understand it. I've heard a couple different things. I know, for example, my roommate would chug a an energy drink before she did a prep test to really make sure her her focus was spot on. Worked for her. I don't know if I'd recommend it to everyone, but it's something to be thinking about. Whatever you do in real life to keep focused on work or school or whatever it is, those same strategies can be helpful to you on RC. Thank you. All right, Barry. Hi, I was going to ask if you have any tips for those questions that ask something like, the passage mentions all of these, and they're usually like details. And the passage mentions all of these except, and then it's like a list of small details. I mean, because I like I do sort of the low res summary stuff, but these details don't usually go into any of these summaries. I love talking about that because that's usually where my clients are like, aha, I got you, right? This isn't in the big three. I'm not going to get this question, <laughs> right? And to that, I say, no, you absolutely can use your big three to get those questions right. So the first step to that is as you're reading, making sure you're still actively reading each part. Even if you don't like internalize every last aspect of the detail, you still want to be able to recall like, oh, there was something about really old shirt in that paragraph or something about an Athenian statue in that paragraph, right? There's a detail about this thing. To the point that you can still recall the buzzwords. The second thing, right, is thinking about where if you read an answer choice, okay, what is this about? Which paragraph would this detail be in based on my low res summaries or based on my structure or based on my speaker, right? Whatever it is, trying to pinpoint what location you think it's going to be in in the paragraph. That way you kind of eliminate answer choices that you know aren't in the passage. And then when you're down to two or three answer choices, really targeted, go back to the passage, not spending a lot of time, but knowing exactly where you're going in the passage to see if it was actually there. So that's kind of my two-step approach to tackling those questions and my way of kind of proving that, yeah, low res summary and you're the big three, like all of those things are still helpful for those detail-oriented questions. All right. Uh, so Matthew, you're next. Hi. First off, thank you both for taking the time tonight. I was just curious. I think it was Scott that mentioned that there's some difference in the content as you go by like test number. And I've primarily been PTing in like the 60s range. And I just was curious to what extent is RC a lot different in the more recent tests or with other sections as well? How, how similar are they? So if you want to take this one based on your experience with those. Yeah, sure. I'll tell you, I've changed my answer since when I took the test. I really felt when I was studying for the test that the PTs in the 70s and especially going into the 80s and 90s, the RC was dramatically harder. And if you look at my RC scores as I tested through that that range, I mean, that, it would kind of bear that out. I recognize in retrospect that it's not really that they got harder. It's just that the test writers developed a few new tricks and a few kind of harder questions and harder passages. And it's not ordinary 
orders of magnitude more difficult. It's just a slight increase. It's enough that if you really were having a smooth time of things in the 60s, and then you transition to the 70s, you might drop a few points. And of course, if you're coming up right on test day, that few points can really be kind of an anxiety spiral, especially if you're like me and are prone to that anyway. But I mean, ultimately, it's eminently learnable. If you're good at the 50s and 60s PTs, you're going to be strong in the 70s, 80s, and 90s once you get used to them. And that's the main thing I would emphasize. Make sure you're not waiting till the last two weeks before the test to get used to those 80, you know, 70s, 80s, and 90s PT. Go ahead and start folding those in a month or more ahead of time so that, again, you're, you're not just utterly surprised when you find questions that you haven't seen before. Those are the most representative of what the actual LSAT will be like. We don't want to waste those unnecessarily early in your study period, but we definitely want to take several of them before you're actually ready to take the real thing. Awesome. So are, are these changes contained mostly to this section? Like are logic and games pretty similar? I didn't find that uh, logic. say so. Yeah, I don't think logic and James change as much as RC does as you go into those later ones. In some ways, actually, the the logic games, the statistics tell us that the the logic games, actually, the the sections get a lot more regular with two easy, relatively quick games at the beginning and, you know, kind of escalating difficulty as you go through. It seems that RC is the one that they really kind of tweaked as they they went into the 80s and 90s. I agree with that. Well, thank you, Matthew. And then Delaney, you're next. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for hosting this really helpful session. I'm nearing the end of my LSAT study period. I'm taking the test in August, and I'm finding that I still really struggle with the inference questions on RC passages Mm -hmm. because the passages are much longer than an LR stimulus. So I'm curious to hear your input on how to navigate those questions. Yeah, absolutely. That is a tale as old as time. I'm really good at RC, but I just can't get these inference questions down, right? I, I hear that almost every day. The biggest thing that I'll say to that is to really remind yourself, the LSAT is not asking you to guess. The LSAT is not asking you to assume anything. The answer is always going to be something that you can explicitly draw from the passage. Because, right, think about it, right? If it was something that you had to guess about or something that you had to read between the lines, multiple people would come up with different answers, right? There's always going to be one right answer and four wrong answers for a question. So remind yourself of that if you're feeling like the inference question is just coming out of nowhere and you can't find the answer for it, it has to be there, right? It has to be in the box. The next thing that I would think about is it's really helpful in, especially in those inference questions, to try to predict where in the passage the answer is going to be. You might not be able to guess, you know, what type of answer choice it's going to be or or what words they're going to use, but at the very least, focus on having a location. So that way, right, a lot of these answer choices, if the answer you know is going to be in the third paragraph and you see an answer choice that's in the second paragraph, you don't even have to think too hard about it, right? You can get rid of it based off of location alone. So those are kind of my general strategies for the inference questions. The biggest thing to take away from that, right, is that the Answers always, 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 always gonna come from the passage. Yeah, and I'll go ahead and second that by saying another great exercise for you to do if you're struggling with that question type is go back when you get one of those wrong and find the explicit justification in the passage and try to figure out why it is that you missed it on the first go round. It could be that there was a problem with your low resolution summary or your understanding of the passage, or maybe you misread the question or exactly what it was asking for. But but there is explicit justification in the passage. So the question is. How do you find it? And why were you unable to find it during the testing time? If you can answer that question for all of these different inference questions, you'll probably reveal some trend in the way that you approach the passages or approach the question or approach RC in general that will ultimately help you improve and really improve your accuracy on that question type. Well, thank you both so much. Of course. All right. I think it's Victoria next. Hi there, Scott, Asha. 
LSAT professionals always refer to the patterns on the LSAT. What are we referring to? I, was, I think it, in LR, and I guess we're not talking about LR today, but so in RC, what are the patterns, quote unquote, on the LSAT? So when I say patterns or, or when people kind of talk about patterns, what they are really hinting at, again, like I mentioned earlier, is that the LSAT writers are not very creative. When they're presenting you with the passage, even though the topic might be different, the structure of the passage, the way that the argument is presented, the types of questions that they ask and where the answers come from, all of those things just repeat from passage to passage. And, and once you kind of start thinking about the general way that an argument is presented to you in an RC passage, you'll start to notice, right? This passage, even though the topic is about oceans and, and that one was about physics, I don't know, even though the topics are different, the way that they're presenting information to you, the way that they're grilling you about the passage and the details or the aspects of it they want you to pull from it, those things are very, very similar. So if you're kind of thinking about that, really, especially that structure part, the relationships that each paragraph have with each other, you're going to find that a lot of these passages are very, very similar to each other, even though the content is different. So that's kind of what I think when I think patterns in RC is just the way that the argument is presented to you and how they ask you about it. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Victoria. And Sherry, you're next. Hi. I was wondering, sorry, it's a bit loud in here, but I was wondering, I saw somewhere on 7 Sage that you can command F for RC. Is that a rule on the actual LSAT? Is that allowed to command F to like find certain key terms or go back to certain lines or quotes? That is absolutely yes. allowed on the test. You may control F or command F, depending on which operating system you happen to use, which can be really helpful for finding certain details on the test. But one thing I do like to caution people on, the test authors know that you have that. And increasingly on the more recent tests, they are leaning away from questions that control F would ultimately help you answer. Now, that doesn't mean that you, sh you shouldn't use it. In fact, on, an, on the actual LSAT back in June of 2021, you know, I had, I think, one question where control F really came in handy to help me find exactly where in the passage a particular bit of jargon was used. And it was really helpful for that. But it could also be an incredible time sink. So it is something to be used really sparingly because it really isn't the case that there are a lot of RC questions that control F is going to help you with. I absolutely second that. All right, Sherry, thank you. And Edward. Hi, guys. Thanks for uh, hosting this for us. My question is, Going back to when you narrow it down to two answer choices and you're trying to choose between them and, you know, you skip it and you come back and you had mentioned defending an answer choice with what's in the passage, with information from the passage. Do you find that it's easier to do that, like when you are doing it timed, as opposed to trying to say why one might be wrong? Because I find myself in blind review trying to prove why the other answer is wrong if I narrowed it down to two. Yeah, so that, that's a really good point. So there's really like two avenues that you can kind of go. You can either defend the right answer or, or find the wrong answer. The reason that I usually err to the side of, of defending the answer choice as opposed to trying to find something wrong with it is because if you get down to two answer choices, it's because you like both of them. Because you're not really seeing anything apparent that's wrong with either of those answer choices. So I find that in a time setting, instead of like forcing myself to unthink what I'm already thinking, which is that both of these answer choices look right, I find it's just a little bit easier to kind of jump to defending one of those answer choices. And if I come up with nothing, right, picking the other one. So that's why I, on round two, right, if you're down to two and both answers look really good to you, that's why I, I usually recommend defending the answer choice as opposed to spending too much time kind of spinning wheels trying to find what's wrong with all of them. So that's kind of my general advice there. Okay, thank you very much. 
All right, we are going to hang around and answer a few more questions. But before we do, we are at the end of our originally appointed time. So before, I know a lot of you will be heading out around this time. So before you do, I just wanted to throw out there that if in the course of this, you have realized that, hey, I would really like to ask more questions like this to really smart LSAT people like Asta, that is absolutely a thing that you can do. We have a tutoring program with many brilliant tutors like Asta who would be happy to help you improve your score, diagnose the mistakes that you're making, and, and ultimately help you to improve. And furthermore, we also offer free consults with these tutors. So I'm putting a link in the chat now. If you would like to book a free consult with one of our tutors, you can even share your analytics and they'll kind of give you a quick gloss through the obvious mistakes they see there and some drills that might help you improve. And of course, they'll be happy to tell you about our tutoring program and help you figure out whether it might be right for you. And I think Kate was next and we'll probably take probably, I'm going to say we're going to go four more of these and then we're going to close up for the night. So Kate. Hi, yes. Thank you so much for doing this. It was super helpful. And I'm really sorry if you've answered this question. I don't think you have yet. If you're reading an RC passage and you notice yourself starting to struggle or not understand it as well as you had hoped, do you skip the passage and come back to it at the end or do you just try your best to work through it? That's a good question. I, I think my answer to that is based on like the magnitude of your misunderstanding. If you get to like one particular sentence and you're like, I don't really get the sentence, I don't think that warrants skipping the entire passage and moving on. However, if you get two paragraphs in and you have no idea what you just read, like at all, like there's not a single word that you can even think of to start your low res summary, that would probably be a good point to go ahead and skip the passage. And if you have time, come back to it later. You don't want to go ahead and, you know, at that point, sink more time into the passage, right? And then at the end of the passage, decide that you want to move on. You want to try to make that decision a little bit earlier, but really kind of be real with yourself. Like how big is this misunderstanding? Is this something I think I can work through? Or is this something that's better to cut my losses and come back to the later? Something that I did when I was studying for the test is I'm not a science person. Like I said, criminology and geography. Whenever I saw a science passage, I just skipped it. Whether it was the second passage or the third one, whatever it was, I just wanted to deal with that at the end, deal with all the nice, pretty, fluffy arts and humanities things first, and then, you know, get to the science one at the end. So that was just something for me, just because I really dreaded those passages. But in general, just kind of be real with yourself. Does this warrant letting loose and like just moving on to another passage? Thank you. That's super helpful. I don't know about anyone else that if they took the June test, but I really struggled with the RC and it was just really <laughs> discouraging the rest of the test. So I appreciate those tips. Thank you. Of course. All right. And Gull, you're next. Hello. Can you hear me? We can. Hi. Yep, absolutely. So I just had a question regarding the skipping strategy. How would you come back to a question that you skip? Like, would you have to reread the whole passage? How exactly would be the best strategy and the most time saving one? Yeah. So there's there's kind of two steps to that. So the first thing is if you skip a question, you want to come back to it before you move on to the next passage, right? Ideally, you want to try to finish all of the questions from one passage before you read another. Because at that point, right, if you come back to it later, you've got like the information of two or three more passages in your brain. And that might force you to kind of refresh yourself on that particular passage a little bit more. So try to come back to it, you know, before you move on to the next passage. However, right, if you come back to it on round two and you still don't know what's going on, that doesn't mean you sink four or five minutes into that one question in order to finish that one passage. Because, right, those, you know, maybe if you spend five minutes on this one question trying to get it right before you move on, those five minutes could cost you the entirety of the last passage, right? That's just not worth it. 
So sometimes you just kind of have to cut your losses, move on from a question within a particular passage and move on to the next one. But you do want to take a stab at any questions that you missed or any questions that you skipped, excuse me, within a passage before you keep going. So there's like the first layer to it and the second layer to it. All right, guys, we're going to tackle a couple more questions here. But before we do, I did notice that quite a few of you are asking about study groups and it looks like you're forming one in the chat, which is fantastic. I also wanted to throw out one other option that we have available that we're kind of testing out in the next couple of weeks. It'll actually be me and Asta working that one as well. But this is kind of a new idea that we had where we are going to do a you know seminar kind of similar to what we're doing now. But instead of us talking about some section of the LSAT, the purpose will be to pair you together just informally with a study group of people that you can review with. So we'll just use the breakout feature of Zoom and we will pair you pretty much instantaneously. So if that sounds interesting, if you'd like to join one of these on a Monday night and be paired with a group of people that you may or may not get along with, and if you do get along with, you can continue meeting with after that, then click on the link that I'm putting in the chat now. And Kitty, yeah, you're going to be our last question for the night. Hello, I was actually just going to ask a question, the same question Kate asked. Does it happen often that, for, for example, the RC, quest, uh, RC section has four passages and the hard one happens to be on the second and the third and fourth, they're easier? Because I feel like sometimes that happens in logical games. Yeah, so for the most part, the first two passages of the section are going to be easier than the last two. Every once in a while, there's a prep test where it doesn't necessarily pan out that way. But on average, you should be getting through the first two passages a little bit quicker than you get through the last two. And, and that's kind of why you want to not necessarily space out your time evenly, because the last passage might require a little bit more time than the standard, right, eight minutes and 45 seconds. Right? You might want to save yourself a little bit more time for the end. So really try to make sure the first two passages are getting through them, you know, without going too fast, but right? getting through them a little bit quicker than maybe you're comfortable with so that you have enough time to really give your all to the last two passages. Just like on games, the first two games are usually a little bit easier than the last two. Just like on LR, the first half of the section is usually a little bit easier than the last one. So that's kind of the general trend that the LSAT likes to take on. Gotcha. Thank you. All right. And thank you all for showing up tonight. We certainly hope that this was beneficial to you and to your study. If you have any further questions, feel free to go post them in the original forum link that you found the registration link for this webinar from. We'd be happy to answer your questions there. Or of course, scroll back up and book a consult with one of our tutors. And of course, they would be happy to answer your questions as well. Thank you, Asta, for sharing all your wisdom with the group. And stay tuned. We will have one of these every single month. And we'd love to see you guys at the next one. Thanks and have a great night. Thank you. Have a great night, everyone. Hey, it's JY again. Thanks for listening. And I hope you got some good advice that you can implement in your own studies. If you are thinking about working with a tutor, get in touch. We'll do a free consultation. You can reach us on sevensage.com. That's it for this episode. Take care of yourself and see you next time.